Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing, with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to record their stories and memories to share with their family and friends and with future generations. And they need our help to write that book or make that audio or video. And today we have Gloria Nussbaum with us. Gloria is the founder of a company called Real to Real Recording Personal Stories. She specializes in interviewing and preserving the actual voice of the storyteller using one-on-one interviews. This elicits wonderful stories that bring a person to memory more strongly and vividly than any photograph. Since starting her business in 2001, Gloria has worked with hundreds of people to record their stories. Welcome to the show, Gloria. Thank you, Amy. I'm thrilled to be here. Years ago, I heard you give a presentation, and it was about doing personal histories, but specifically doing audio personal histories. And you just expressed it so beautifully why you've chosen that medium. So I'd like for you to start off by telling listeners today, why audio? Well, Amy, it seems to me that sometimes we lose track of something called oral history. Oral history is how stories have been passed down for generations and actually through millennia. And so it seemed to me when I decided to try a personal history business that audio made sense to me. Also because I have this great love of radio. I have been in love with radio for as long as I can remember. The first thing that I ever bought myself was a transistor radio. So now I've been dated and that's okay, but I just believe that the human voice is something that is unique and beautiful and something that each of us is born with and that makes us special. And it especially makes us special to our loved ones because our voice is the voice that they know and love. One of the things that I run into sometimes when I tell people that I work in audio format is they'll say, but I don't like my voice. And my response to that is, that's not what this is about. Whether you like your own voice or not is absolutely beside the point because your voice is the one that your family and friends know and love. So when they hear your voice, they know it's you. And whether you like it or not, well, that's just the way it goes. Something that struck me when I heard you speak years ago, you mentioned the fact that we we age, our bodies age, our face changes, but the voice in some very fundamental way stays very much the same. Is that right? It does. For the most part, it does. Although I have to say that if you get the opportunity to record younger children, I've been recording my grandchildren since they were born. There's something really awesome about that sweet little voice. And then a few years later, record a few more stories and you'll hear it start changing. But once we get to be adults, I think the reality is that it pretty much stays the same. And so I've actually heard people say too, that in fact, someone that I just talked to, well, actually it was podcast that Latisse Stewart just recorded with you. She said that when she had recordings of her mother, 
that it took her 20 years after her mother died to right. be able to actually listen to that voice because it was so intimate. And that's another thing about voice that I love is that it's so intimate. It's so who we are. One of the things that I used to say years ago before we had phones where you could see the person who was calling would be that the phone rings and you pick it up and it could be anybody in the whole wide world. And it might be somebody that you haven't even heard from for years and years. Within moments, suddenly the light bulb goes on and you're like, oh, that's you. It's my friend Carol. And there's just, there's nothing like it. And it brings such a rush of memories and emotions. And, and I'm wondering, I don't know the neuroscience behind this at all, but you know how they say that smells, they activate an older part of our brain, right? I think that's maybe in the amygdala. I don't know about the, the sound, the actual, you know, timber of somebody's voice, but I would guess that there is something similar there. It brings about not the content of the speech, but actually the sound of someone's voice. It brings out so many things that, um, that maybe you hadn't thought of for a long time, especially like you're saying, if it's a voice of somebody that you haven't heard of or heard from in a while. Um, and that I think can have such a profound effect on the listener. So the, um, not the storyteller who's sitting down and telling you those stories, but then the people who are going to be listening to those stories. So I think it's, I think it is a great medium to work with. Um, I've done a little bit of myself and I would definitely like to do more. One of the other really nice things about working with audio is that especially if you are a beginner or you're just starting off, you know, getting your business going with personal history, these are projects that can be offered at a lower price point than doing, say, a, you know, a 200 page book or a 30 minute video or a, you know, 60 minute video. I believe that the most important skill that we all have, that we all bring to our work is the skill of interviewing. So you still have to be, you know, maybe even especially so for doing audio, you have to really know how to do the interviews well. That's actually exactly what I'd really like to focus on. Right. Well, why don't you talk a little bit about that? And, um, and, and then we can get a little bit more into the process of how you run with a project once you're hired. Absolutely. So I would sort of like to title this portion called The Role of the Interviewer. Now, as personal historians, we all understand that we wear lots of hats. We are the business manager, we're the marketer, we're the person who does the final product in many cases. We are also the interviewer. And I think that many of us as personal historians do not put enough emphasis on the role of the interviewer. And as you say, especially when one works in audio, this becomes critical because this is basically the product. This is it. And if you don't do a really good job doing an interview, then it makes things much more challenging. Let me give a quick example and let me hasten to add that I think doing personal history in whatever media you decide is best for you and your client is fabulous. There are so many people in the world and they and we all they all have stories. So whatever media you've chosen to work in, that's wonderful. But I think if you're doing personal history 
and your final product is audio. The final product is basically the interview. Mm-hmm. And so you need to find ways to interview that might be a little bit different from, say, if you're doing a book, specifically if you're doing a book. So, for example, this is what I do. I go to people's homes, usually, and we get seated. I assure them or have assured them beforehand that there are no cameras because I think that for many of us, we've looked better when we were younger and we're often working with older folks. And so I think it's sort of a relief when there's no camera sitting in their faces. And I've given them a sheet beforehand, sort of explaining to them how this whole process works. And then finally I'm there and we're ready. I use two microphones lapel microphones, one for my interviewee and one for me. And then as we're sitting down and just getting ready to get started, and I say, I have not yet turned on the recorder. I just need to talk to you for a little bit. So I'm just going to read you what I say to clients or to interviewees as we're getting started. So I first of all say, thank you so much for agreeing to record these stories. They are such a priceless gift for your family and friends, and we're going to have fun. So these are your stories. I'm simply going to ask you questions to guide you and to get your memories flowing. What we're really looking for here is stories. So we're going to attempt to do this chronologically. However, if as you're talking, a memory pops up and it's something that you feel may not pop up again when you'd most like it to, please tell me the story right now. It is much more important that we get the stories than that they be exactly in chronological order. And if you start to go down a rabbit hole, I will bring you back. That is part of my job. But basically what we want here are stories, memories. Secondly, I say, if you need time to think, please take it. I will generally not hit the pause button, but rest assured, since I record in digital, I've got more than enough time on my little card. Just take time and think. Number three, if you don't have an answer to something, just say so. We'll keep right on going. I always have another question. However, if I should happen to ask you something that you'd rather not talk about, please let me know. And again, I'll keep right on going. And I know that that comes up sometimes with people say, well, what happens with audio if, if somebody gets into something and they didn't really want that included? Well, as you and I know, Amy, there's something called editing. <laughs> And we can take that out in the editing process, so not a problem. The next thing that I tell them is, this is an interview. It is not a conversation. I will not be responding verbally. And the reason for that is because, again, in audio, you don't want to be stepping on the person who's, who's telling the stories. It is really hard work 
but I try very hard never to interrupt them unless I need to kind of move them along. But I tell them it's an interview, but it's not an ordinary conversation. However, there will be no doubt in your mind that I am listening because I, over 18 years, have figured out how to do everything with my face. In fact, I almost never move my hands. I've had colleagues that used to be in the Association of Personal Historians who would say, Gloria, you don't even move when you're doing an interview. And I'm like, no, I don't, because I do everything with my face. And you can do everything with your face. You, you, can, you can give a questioning look, which then leads them to say, well, maybe she wants a little more information. I show awe, I show amazement, I show sadness and empathy. And here's an interesting one that people might, who are especially working in audio, might be curious about. Years and years and years ago, I had a question that I didn't have an answer to. And that was, can I laugh? Like when they tell me something oh, funny, question, can right? I laugh? And I couldn't find an answer, as with almost everything to do with audio and personal history, I came up with it all myself. And here was another one where I came up with my own answer. And my answer was, no, I cannot laugh out loud. But I can laugh silently. And you can really laugh silently. Try it if you don't believe it. You really can especially if you're sitting right there in the same room, which is another point we can get to. I will only do this in person. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so yes, my answer is that my laughter, again, it interrupts their laughter because they're usually laughing at their own story. And one of the beauties of working in audio is laughter. That is like the best, the absolute best, is to get people's laughs. Years and years ago on the APH listserv, there was a question. How do you put a laugh on a sheet of paper for all of my dear friends who work in books? And I, I couldn't, I waited for a couple of days and then I just couldn't stand it any longer. And so of course I had to make a response and the response was, you can't, right? <laughs> you can't get that, you can't get that laugh, that laugh on a piece of paper. There are other ways to do it, but it's not that laugh. So anyway, I digress as I so often do. So I tell them I will not respond verbally. And the other, the next thing I tell them is you are in a few minutes, you are going to be so comfortable that you are going to forget that you have a microphone attached to your lapel. And so you're going to get comfortable and you're start, going to start talking with your hands. And that's okay. You may talk with your hands. However, if your hands get anywhere near my microphone, I do use humor a lot, or your mouth, and then I indicate like I'm right now holding my hand over my mouth, and you can tell the difference, that if I see your hands in any of those places, I have a hand gesture of my own that will indicate to you, please put your hands back in their original position. <laughs> okay, that's exactly what I was just going to ask you when you said you don't use your hands at all, because that when I have done audio projects, that is one of the things that uh, it, it seems in particular, people who like to tap, you know, they'll like they'll have a pen and they'll be tapping on the table. And I'm knowing that it's going to sound terrible. Uh, you know, so I, I have, if I am sitting down to do an audio project with somebody, I do have hand motions that that indicate, nope, you have to stop that 
whatever the activity is. So you do a little bit of that yourself too. I do. I do. Yeah. That is the one time that I use my hands. Yeah. You're right. Having a hand, a pen in their hand is just the worst. Uh, but people still tap or they play with the microphone cords. I've had people like twist them up and I'm just thinking, to oh, myself, no. please <laughs> no, there's, these are expensive and there's actual wire inside there that's helping us do this work. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a critical one, which brings me to the pen of the interviewer. I have a pen in my hand virtually at all times while I'm doing this because I do want to be able to jot maybe just a word or two down that I might want to make sure I remember to go back and ask about. But my pen does not click. You need uh -huh, to buy right. pens that, that you take the top off. So just put the top where it's not going to be a problem and never, ever, ever use a clicking pen because we might get nervous and or, or start flag, our interest might begin to flag, which I'll again address later. Um, so just don't have a pen that clicks and that way you don't ever have to think about it. Okay. So then I tell them I will occasionally glance down at my equipment just to make sure that everything is going the way it's supposed to. When I do that, please just keep right on talking. I'm still listening. It's just that I have to occasionally glance down to make sure that everything is working the way it's supposed to be. And then I usually ask them to count to 10 out loud so that I can get my voice levels. And then I say, do you have any questions about what we're doing? And because I am such a thorough interviewer, <laughs> of course they don't have any questions. I'm kidding. But they almost never have questions. And I just find it. Oh, and then the, the last thing I say is now I'm going to put an introduction on. As soon as I hit the record button, and I will tell you when I do, I'm going to put on an introduction that tells us who, what, when, where, why, and then the interview, the interview will be underway. And if you'd like me to, I'll quickly read what it says. And yes, definitely. And and just a question: yes. Is that intro just to alert you when you're in your editing phase what no. number of interview this was? This is actually going on the recording itself. Then it is. It's absolutely okay. going on the recording. Yes, and I'd it, love to hear it. <laughs> yeah. So here's here's a quick example. Um, it's May 13, 2019. I'm Gloria Newsbaum, and I'm talking with Lois Tyler from Loveland, Colorado, at the home of her stepdaughter, Sandra Katie, in Portland, Oregon. This is session number one, and our topic is childhood and adolescence. Oh, you even put the topic in there. I do. And of yeah. course, sometimes that changes or gets deleted or whatever. And again, that takes place in the editing process. So so that is how I and that's how I sit down and get started with the actual interview. Going back to you stating the topic, that is as soon as you said that I had a little flicker of anxiety because I'm thinking in my interviewing process, very often we will talk at the at the beginning of the interview about what we're going to talk about. And usually that's me saying, okay, since the last time we met, is there anything that you thought of that you want to talk about? And if not, then we'll say, you know, in general, we're going to be talking about grade school at whatever little town that, you know, putting parameters on it. But so often the talk goes in every which direction that I would be terrified to actually label it. And, and that gets to a question and you might want to answer this now or, or we can talk about it later, but that gets to the question of um, how directed the interviews are, because I'm guessing that the interviews 
that you do must be much more directed than, say, the interviews that I do where I'm just getting the material that's that I'm going to be using to create the final product. You're getting the material that is the final product. So do you start off an interview with a really clear-cut idea of what you're going to be talking about, whether it's a time period in life or a certain topic? That's a really good question. My interviews are really pretty much the same almost all the time. I do ask people before we sit down for the first interview, either the person who is who is the, the interviewee or the person who hired me, if that might be a, a child of that person or whatever. And I have a one-page, what I call, pre-interview questionnaire. Again, this is really, really different from how most personal historians work. I really try to streamline, streamline this work and make it just as easy for people to do as possible. And so on that sheet, I do say at the bottom of the few questions that I want to know, basically, I need your name, your address, and how many children you had and when they were born and your level of education and whatever. And then it says, if there are certain areas of this person's life that you want us to specifically focus on, let me know. Or if there are, if you just want to do a part of a life and just then let me know what that part is. And then we'll just focus on that. Say maybe it would be someone in the military. It would be just their their service career. Or someone would say, well, let's do my career. Or let's do raising children. Or, And oftentimes, no one puts anything in those two bottom questions. And so I say to them, if you don't know what you want to talk about, or there's not a specific part of your life that you want to talk about, I, of course, have a suggestion. And that suggestion is that we do the first 20 to 25 years of your life, especially if they tell me we can only do one or two hours. Generally, mm -hmm. if I get if I get to do sort of a whole life story, often it's six to eight hours. It can be as much as 14 hours. It can be, you know, as few as three but sometimes people say, well, I can only afford, and we'll talk money later, if I can, I can only afford this much. And I will say to them, if you don't know, if you don't have a specific part of that life that you want to focus on, then I strongly suggest, as I said, the first 20 to 25 years for the following reasons. One, it's the foundation on which all of the rest of our life is based. For better or for worse, that's the foundation. That's the family into which we were born. That is where we have learned our values and what matters to us. This is the most different, especially with older folks, which is who we normally work with. That part of your life is the most different from life today. And it's the part of your life that your family and your grandkids have not taken the time or shown the interest yet in asking you about and Number one, it's the most interesting. <laughs> right. I love that part of people's lives. So, and, and that's the part of people's lives that most people want to talk about, that they gravitate towards, especially if, you know, if we're being hired as a personal historian to sit down and listen to their stories. Those are the stories that 
people come back to time and time again. You know, when when they hit that period of life where they want to reflect back on things, um, you know, because oftentimes that's where the first happy things have happened. That's where the, you know, that can be where sadness lies as well. But those are just so rich. Um, those 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 memories that have to do with the growing up years. But I definitely need to make note of your other reasons because when I when I give talks about what I do, um, I usually focus on why we why so much of the story and and even in the book Gloria like when I do books for people it can be 75% of the book is about the growing up years and then the last 25% is you know everything after they got married and started having kids and had their career and everything i mean it doesn't always pan out like that but very often it does exactly um, absolutely right? and you said at the beginning you said that your interviews are the same do you mean that they follow the same pattern from from client to client or storyteller to storyteller? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's what I mean. Exactly. I actually have a list. Uh, I have about eight or 10 pages of questions that I always take with me. But of course, the critical thing, once you get started is listening, 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 listening. So let me talk a little bit about listening because I just feel like this is the most critical skill of an audio of any personal historian, but especially an audio historian, because first of all, listening is really hard work. And it's funny, while you're when you're talking to me right now, I'm so used to responding with my face that <laughs> I'm responding <laughs> to you with my face even though you can't see me. <laughs> I'm I'm shaking my head in agreement when you say things that you're saying. So I just have to laugh at myself. So, so maybe we should have made this a Skype, a Skype call. <laughs> no, no, no. That's quite okay. But I just have to laugh. So listening is really hard work and it takes practice because it's we don't we don't listen this hard normally. And I tell people, because I love to chatter, that I only listen this hard when I'm actually working, but that when I am working, I am capable of this, which I know people find pretty impossible sometimes. But you listen, I listen with every ounce of my being. I tell people that I cannot, I cannot lose focus for even one second when I'm working. And the reason that I can't lose focus is, number one, I may miss something really, really important that I want to follow up on. And number two, I will ask a stupid question. They will have just answered me and I will have missed it and then I will have asked them. And I don't like to sound stupid. And and if you listen to the radio as much as I do, you will discover that many people in the radio business do not listen. <laughs> They ask the same question and I don't talk I'm not talking about news people because they're trying to get they're trying that's a whole different kind of interview. But just generally speaking, we listening is really hard work. So you have to listen with every ounce of your being. So I know that there are some personal historians who say, Oh, while while I'm doing the interview, I am taking notes or I am sort of transcribing as we go along. And you said something, again, in the one that I listened to with Latisse, that you're doing two things when you're listening, that you're listening to listen and you're listening to see how it's going to fit into the story, I think. 
Right. Um, and, and that's true. So the other thing to quickly add is that there are many, many different kinds of listening. And again, someone had to point this out to me some years ago. Gloria, you listen very differently when you're recording the interview and when you're editing the interview. And it was oh, like, that's interesting. of course. It, I mean, I did it so naturally that it just sometimes the really obvious stuff has to be pointed out to me. Even though I'm doing it, I don't realize what I'm doing. But yes, that was like another light bulb moment. But when I'm in the interview, they get my undivided attention. Most of the time I'm making eye contact, although there are times when it is good to look away, to give them a break, to give me a break, to just break that for a second or two. But generally speaking, but you still have to keep listening with every ounce of your being. And so all of that to say, then I do have my list of questions, but I may have just heard something that I want to make sure that I follow up on, or I may have heard something that I want to bring up a bit later. And sometimes if they are just rushing ahead, then I will say right there on the, I call it tape, although it's not, I will say, okay, we're going to get that you're going to get to that in a little while, but right now I need to back you up. There's a bit more that we need to get from this portion of your life or whatever. But let me say that after two hours of listening that intently, and that is generally what each of my sessions is, is two hours, I am absolutely exhausted. I mean, it is hard to explain how hard listening for two hours is. <laughs> I agree with you. It's funny because when I do interviews with people, um, especially if they're older, and it can be pretty exhausting um, for them as well. Hopefully, it's in a good way, and it usually is. Um, but they look, you know, they look like they're ready for a nap afterwards, and I do too. And I think that they maybe get a little bit confused by that because, like you said, it's holding our silence, making sure that our attention is attuned to them. All of that, it, it takes a certain kind of mental energy that can be not depleting, but, you know, you, you need a rest after that. <laughs> and, and the worst is if, um, you know, if you have to stack the interviews, which I've only had to do once, thankfully, but stack them where there's interviews in the morning and the afternoon. I've done know. that too. If I'm traveling. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, oh God, that is just really hard. <laughs> that is so hard. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This interview was really meaty and it got a little bit long, so I decided to split it up into two sections. Uh, what you heard right now was part one of the interview with Gloria Nussbaum. And next time, so you can stay tuned for part two, Gloria will be talking about the recording equipment that she uses, her whole setup with the microphones, how much she charges, and a lot more stuff that's really interesting. So stay tuned for that episode. And if you enjoy these podcasts, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a review. Now, I'm going to change things up with the show notes a little bit, um, just because you may have noticed that the gaps between each episode have gotten longer and longer. I'm trying to figure out a way that I can fit this into my schedule and still do all of the life story writing that I need to do. Um, as many of you know, this is not monetized in any way. So this is just something that I'm doing for fun and as a service to the community of life story writers and life story creators out there. So I am not going to be doing extensive show notes, 
But you can always go to the website, which is thelifestorycoach.com, and look for the episode to see any of the links that we've talked about. I'm hoping that by focusing more on the content and less on doing the show notes, I will be able to be a little bit better about publishing the episodes more regularly. I'm so glad that you're here, and I hope that this has helped. Again, next time, we'll have part two of the interview with Gloria Nussbaum. Until then, go out and save someone's story.